Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Bart Reynolds, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for the invitation. I've been looking forward to the discussion. You have an incredible... I'm going to call it responsibility with your role within C-SPAN. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and where C-SPAN's at today and ultimately how you got to where you are with the company? You bet. So C-SPAN is a marine service uh, transportation provider. We're diversified in a number of different segments. Probably the one that you're most familiar with is the ship docking and ship escort business for Vancouver Harbor. But we're also involved in uh, the moving of tug and barge services for so like chip and hog fuel from the sawmills to the pulp and paper mills. We move a bit of aggregate for the uh, cement industry. And we also do a fair bit of log barging for the forest sector. So we're pretty well diversified in the British Columbia economy. I've only been here at C-SPAN for just over four years now. Prior to that, I spent 15 years in the offshore oil and gas industry. I lived and worked in a number of different countries. Uh, I lived in Nigeria for two years. I was in Cameroon for three years. I was in Egypt for three years. I was in the Gulf of Mexico and looked after Latin America for six years. So I've had a lot of experience in the marine industry and a lot of different parts of the world. And I guess I've seen the way you, you, can, uh, you can skin a cat a lot of different ways. They do it a lot of different ways in different parts of the world, for sure. And just so our listeners are clear, Bart is the president of Marine at C-SPAN. And I'm curious with your experience, how has the industry changed over the past couple of decades? That's a great question. And, I, and really, the marine industry is one that suffers. There's a lot of hangover from the fact that there's not been a lot of changes in our industry for a, for a very long time. We're in an industry that's very capital intensive with long life assets. So you build a vessel, it's generally expected to work for 25 years. And depending on what sector and what part of the world you're in and how well you take care of the equipment, you can easily have steel that lasts 40, 50, even 60 year lifespan. And so that makes it pretty tough. And there's not a lot of changes in the industry, not a lot of new things come into the industry with all of the latent equipment that is riddled through the, through the industry. Are the materials changing as we look at the future? Is the industry now going through this exponential change that, say, the tech industry or the communications industry is? Do you see the future of, of marine and the future of C-SPAN start to change faster? We're definitely approaching uh, uh, an inflection point of particularly on the, on the power side. And is that going to be electric? Is that going to be hydrogen? Certainly there's LNG, which most people believe is probably a bridge fuel to something else in the next decade or two, which makes the challenge of investing. Again, if those assets are 35, 50-year assets, what technology do you want to make a 50-year bet on right now? And for us, there really isn't any that we're ready to make that investment. What we've been trying to do is keep our powder dry. We're looking at extending the life of our current assets, getting a little bit more out of the older assets when possible, or picking up assets that are secondhand. So we're buying stuff that is 10, 15 years old that we think has got 10 to 15 more years of life in it, making that shorter term bet 
until the point where we feel more comfortable that we're ready to pick a winner, you know, with a, with a new technology, which I think is, is in the next, we're going to see some massive changes in the next decade, certainly in the next two decades. So in, instead of the equipment side, we probably are spending more and looking more internally focused on focusing on our people rather than the assets right now. Tell me a little bit more about that. What are you focusing on with respect to your people? What are the skills that you're looking for as, as you look at the future of C-SPAN? Are you retraining? Are you rehiring? Are you expanding? Is automation adding or subtracting jobs? What does the people environment look like at C-SPAN right now? Very fortunate that we have a fantastic workforce. We have a very skilled workforce, and we have a workforce that's been with us for a long time. Today, my average captain has been with us at C-SPAN for more than 25 years, which is just remarkable. And then a lot of these guys came to us with experience in the industry before they started at C-SPAN. So right away, you understand that we have a challenge in terms of an, of an aging fleet of mariners that we're going to have to replace over the next several years and we're going to be losing a lot of that experience. We have historically, what we've been focusing on the last uh, couple years is how we train our people and how quickly we can get somebody ramped up and into where they're competent and capable of taking that mate or master's role and handling the vessel. We have historically trained the way most companies have trained, the way you and I probably learn how to drive a car is you know somebody else who knows how to drive a car, whether that's your dad or your uncle or whatever, teaches you how to drive. They're probably pretty decent at it. At least they're, they're suitable at it, and they teach you to be kind of suitable at it. But you're far from a professional driver, right? And you're not learning. There's a lot of things that, that your dad or your uncle didn't teach you. Probably didn't teach you the art of drafting. He probably taught you to turn, to turn into a slide, but you don't know the physics of why you're turning into slide and necessarily the consequences of not doing so. And so... We took a hard look at our training. We spent a lot of money on, on training, probably more than any other company I've been a part of. And it takes us a long time to get people through the training because it was this ad hoc, it was this hand-me-down type of training. And we really went back and said, we, there must be a better mousetrap. So hmm. we scoured the globe looking for a better way to do that and found a system that was the only class certified Tugmaster training in, in the world, but it was on the other side of the world. It was in the UK. We thought, yeah, you know, it's going to be really expensive. We're not going to want to send our people over there or bring them over here to do this training. We reached out to them anyways, just to see if they had something that they could suggest that was on in uh, North America. And they said, look, what, we'll, uh, if you guys will cover the cost of our flights, We'll just come out there and we'll do an assessment for you. No charge. <laughs> wow. I'm just going to tell you, uh, ride with your people and let you know what, what we see. And it was remarkable. Basically, like, like having a professional driver drive with a novice, right, with an right. amateur driver. And so we had these guys come out here and, they went, and we put them, of course, with our hardest, some of our best guys that have been driving tugboats for us for 30 years. And they come back after a few hours and they have this, list of things that they've noticed and suggested that we that we look at about the way our guys are driving their tugboats and the masters that were driving the tugboats with them and working with them they're coming back in and they're telling us about the things that they've learned in that two-hour period it mm -hmm. just completely blew me away the power of that having that that expertise and really what it gets down to is learning a best practice right and you learn all of the skills and you learn a best practice 
and you learn why, not only what the best practice is, but you learn why you're doing it, and you're learning that if you do something that's not the best practice, what are the consequences of that? So our guys have gone through this training program, and we quickly embraced it. First off, we sent a couple, but part of the training program, I should back up a little bit, is that it's uh, simulation-based. And so you spend 10 days in the simulator, and then you spend six days of live training on a vessel. So that's 16 days of vessel handling before you take your final test. It's a competency-based time test that you have to do it. You have to do the circuit four times within 30% of the instructor's time, and then it's pass-fail. So it's competency-based. It's the only one that's of its type that's approved by a classification society in, in the world. And, you know, we quickly decided this is what we want to do. When we started to go look at all the people that we have in, in our fleet, we've got about 325 mariners today. About half of them are officers that we're going to want to put through this, this training program. We quickly decided that we didn't want to be spending money sending people uh, to other parts of the world to be in a, in a simulator for 10 days. That was going to be quite expensive. So we bought a simulator. So we now have, as of March of this year, the most state-of-the-art transit simulator on the planet. Until somebody wow. builds another one, we've got one that we, we've got we've got the best in the world today. It's got floor to ceiling screens. It's 360 degree simulators. We have two, so there's two duals. It's a dual simulator, so we can have two tug captains working with tugs to, together on the same scenario or working separately. And then we have a training room where the instructor sits and gives instructions. And of course, the instructor has the ability to put in all of the elements. He can change everything that the that the wow. simulation is doing. It's, it turned out it's phenomenal. But the positive externalities that have come from having that level of training is just the benefits have been f- phenomenal for, for us. One of the benefits f- for us is just in terms of, because of the training is in, in the system, in the industry has been ad hoc and it's been hand-me-down. People, you ask three captains how to do something, you typically are going to get three different answers. Right, but right. now we're all doing things the same way, the best way, the, the right way. And so what we've taken is what these guys hold most near and dear to their heart and how they handle their vessels and how they drive it. And we've shown them there's a best practice and they've and they've embraced the best practice now when we go and we want to try to to teach or build a best practice for landing a barge for some other type of work or process that we do it's not that near of a big of a hurdle because people are believed that there is a best practice mm-hmm. out there the level of confidence that your people have when they have true expertise and true command of a set of skills. So you, you can't pass this course unless you have to learn 25 different skills. You have to do it to a certain level of competency. It's a pass-fail type system. And that gives you an incredible level of confidence. I mean, I can visibly see our captains that have been through that, just how they're walking through the hall and when they're talking to you right. and stuff, and the guys who have not been through the course. I mean, I it was just shocking to me, different in the countenance and the confidence of, of our people. Wow. Well, congratulations on, on making that investment and seeing such a strong return on it. That is, that's really incredible. 
one of the things that's that stuck out to me is you said that many of your captains have been with you for 25 plus years. When you look at attrition, are you struggling at all to attract new talent? When I look at traditional sectors, even agriculture, forestry, mining, transportation in general, there's perceived to be an issue or a, a difficulty to attract that next generation of talent. What are you doing at C-SPAN to articulate the value that a career in the marine industry can give a young professional? Well, that's that's a great question, and and really, for us right now, what we're seeing is, I'd say, attracting the initial, getting people in the door, getting them interested, is not the hard part. It's been the retention that's the harder part, that mm-hmm. and it gives me greater concern. You know, when I'm talking about spending ten days of time in a simulator, then six days of live training, that's a lot of time and energy and money to spend on training, and that's just one aspect of our business that we would be training for. So, for us turnover is extremely expensive. We put a lot of investment into our people. And so we need to make sure that not only do we attract people, but we're able to retain them. So this is one of the tools that we're hoping to use, one many tool of, of many of the tools that are in the toolbox that we're hoping to use to attract the best and brightest out there to come to C-SPAN and to build a career with us and say, part of that would be, we have some of the best tools in the world. We're the only one in, only transit simulator in Canada, and we're the only company that has approved to use this training system in North America right now. So we're using that as a, as a way to attract the best and brightest, telling them this is where we got plenty of opportunities for you. This is where you can build your career. One of the things that we'll be using for them is we just announced that we've been awarded the uh, terminal support contract for LNG Canada. So as you probably have heard, LNG Canada is a $40 billion terminal. It's going to be the largest LNG terminal in the world. It's the first to be built in Canada. And we're just over the moon to have won that contract for us. It's about a half a billion dollar contract. It's the biggest contract that we've ever won in the history of our company. It's a 12-year contract, but we fully would expect to be there for the full 40 years of, of that terminal, but this is a great opportunity for us to, for people to come in now. That terminal won't be operational for another, for at least another four or five years. We have time to attract and build the best talent in Canada to make sure that we do that uh, job safely and that we do it perfectly for the entire time that the terminal is operational. We've got several things out there that we can use to uh, attract some of the best and brightest right now. But let's go back to the start of the conversation. What I like to to understand better from leaders like yourself is this intersection between short-term agility and long-term strategic planning, goal setting. You know, I think that we're really good at setting a five and 10 year plan. We're really good at that vision board, whether it's on a personal level or a corporate level. But I find that often we're also really good at ignoring the lesson that we learn or could learn two months into a five-year plan because it doesn't fit the plan, doesn't fit who we were. And what strikes me as fascinating about this, this big win that you've just got is now if you're looking at a half billion dollar opportunity in the short term for a C-SPAN that didn't exist perhaps five days ago, how does C-SPAN maintain its agility in the short term while still looking at accomplishing these big budget, big, these big projects in the longer term as well. How, how do you look at one degree shifts in, in the operating model of C-SPAN while still ensuring long-term longevity for the company? 
That's a great question, Eric. That's probably the $60,000 question. I don't think it's easy, right? So part of what we have done is we wanted to embrace and accept what we and, and share what we don't know and all of the uncertainty. So we went through an exercise that we called uh, Vancouver Harbor 2050. And mm-hmm. we try to, of course, this is trying to futuristic. What is it going to look like? What are things are going to change? And different senior leaders were charged with different segments, whether it be power and propulsion, whether it be communication, whether it be the supply chain, you know, different different things to look at. And they come back and report to the group, uh, you know, what are the futures saying? What, are, what is going to change over the next 35 years? And it was a great exercise for us to go through to just appreciate that we're going to see a massive amount of change, change that we just can't understand, right? We, we all think linearly, but we're talking about there's going to be exponential type change over the next 10, 20 years that we really have a difficult time to, to grasp. So we said, so let's focus on the things that we can grasp and hold on to now, and let's leave those areas that we acknowledge are likely to be subject to the exponential change. Let's leave those open and let's kind of revisit that on a regular basis and let's try to avoid exactly what you're talking about, that trap of this doesn't fit our plan. We need a plan that is malleable. We need a plan that is fluid. We need one that can adjust with the realities and the new realities that are facing our business you know, every day when those changes come. And so that's the challenge that we're trying to deal deal with is that not get locked into the plan. We certainly have a strategic plan. We have a goal. We have a five-year plan. We have the we have the ten-year plan. Everybody out there does, but we don't want to get married to that when we're starting to get data points and new information saying that we may need to make a shift or a change. Perhaps a final question: How do you give yourself time and space? and even perhaps budget to make those shifts. How often are you adjusting the plan? Is that something that is baked in on a daily or even weekly basis? Or is this something that's revisited on, a, you know, say a biannual basis? So right now we're really reviewing this kind of on a quarterly basis. The senior leaders, myself, the CEO and others, you know, certainly we often talk about different pieces of it on a weekly basis. Right. But when we're trying to put all the pieces together in a bigger picture, longer term, we're doing it on a more formal basis, on a, on a, on a quarterly basis. But I can promise you, if something happened and news came out tomorrow that hydrogen fuel sales, somebody had that licked and it was, it was going to make financial sense to be used in the application to provide 3,000 horsepower for a tugboat, we'd be scrambling to have a meeting to talk about, all right, what are we going to do to change our plans and building plans and, and uh, dry dock plans on our fleet to capitalize on that, on that information? Well, Bart, I think that our listeners got a ton from this conversation today. One of the biggest takeaways for me is that whether you're running six or a seven-figure business or perhaps dealing with nine or 10 figures like like C-SPAN is, agility is key. Making these one-degree shifts and creating the time and space to make them is imperative to short and long-term company success and that the future of work is very much still people-focused with the ability to utilize new technologies to ensure that we've got the best practices right here at home as well. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate everything that you've offered us, and I look forward to seeing you perhaps in, in one of those simulators here soon. 
Absolutely. You got an open invitation. Thanks for the invite today, Eric. I really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks so much. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.